Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the BuccoCast, episode number 29. This is the Kevin Young episode, if you will, of the BuccoCast. So it's a fun little number. Some might also say it's the Francisco Cervelli episode. Yeah, that's fine. But using current numbers is too easy. So we'll use past numbers. So this is the Kevin Young episode of the BuccoCast. Josh Taylor here with you. Uh, Jason Rollison, not available this week. Jason's taking a week off. So I figure who better to join the podcast and help me talk about baseball than someone who talks baseball with me on a weekly basis when I'm on the radio. So joining me, special guest here, is my colleague from the Sunday Morning Grind on 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh. You might know him as producer extraordinaire. Greg, don't call him Jermichael. Please don't call him Aloysius. Greg Finley. Greg, what's happening, man? Josh, great to be on the show. We're talking baseball because we love talking baseball, but we're also grinding again. Yes, always. It, it's not even Sunday, and no. we're, we're always grinding. We're, so. We are always, like, the grind is a lifestyle. I, I tell people all the time, like, man, I'm a grinder. I'm like, that's good, because it just doesn't mean if you're listening to the show. The grind is a lifestyle for us. You and I both work, like, multiple positions. You've got a couple of announcing jobs. I've got a couple of announcing jobs. We both work in radio. I've also got TV going. And now I'm doing a podcast because clearly I don't like having sleeping patterns. So whatever. Anyway, let's get into it. We got a lot to talk about and we're going to have a little bit of fun here. We're, we're going to have a throwback Thursday because the show's being recorded on a Thursday and the topic itself was actually raised on a Thursday. So we got a, th- a throwback Thursday topic we're going to get to. Uh, we have our world's worst Pirates preview. Now, this is something that Greg and I normally do on the Sunday morning grind. But since I got Greg here, we figured... We figured we play one of our favorite games, World's Worst Pirates Preview. We will break down the Pirates and Brewer series this upcoming weekend, so we will do that. Of course, we have our Twitter question of the week where we ask you guys on Twitter, our listeners, as to what you think about a certain topic. You guys weigh in, and we will read your answer, answers. And then we will have, seems like one of our favorite debate segments, we'll play Pick a Side. And Greg will be indoctrinated into the world of picking a side, where Jason and I we pick one particular statement and we argue either for or against that point. So we got a lot to get to here. So we will start off with our leadoff question because we always have a leadoff question when we do this format. So our leadoff question of the week. Now this is totally in light of the fact that we just discovered maybe a couple hours before taping this podcast that the final votes are in. Now if you weren't familiar with the the voting format for the All-Star game, I have two questions. One, where were you? Because... We talked about it a lot. And two, why did you miss out? But anyway, here's the format. So they had the initial vote where everybody got to go online and put their balance in and do all kinds of different things, different methods of submitting their ballot. But then what they did was they went to a final three at each position. And then fans were allowed to vote again in what they called the final election for the top three players that got votes at each position. Well, we find out this evening that Josh Bell missed being voted the starter for the All-Star game by 1.1% of the vote. Freddie Freeman of the Braves is the guy. It's really hard to be mad at a guy like Freddie Freeman because he's a really good first baseman. He's been good for a long time. He's been good this season. But our leadoff question for this week, Greg, does Josh Bell deserve to be in the All-Star game as a starter at first base over Freddie Freeman? I think you can make a case that he does. The kind of year that Josh Bell had last year to then come out the way that he came out this season, coming into 
this year, a lot of people had their doubts that Josh Bell was even going to be this great player that the Pirates were so high on when they got him. And, you know, you had that Sports Illustrated guy that said that Josh Bell is just a lump and that he wasn't going to do anything. Well, Josh Bell has been awesome, and he's leading baseball and runs batted in with 70. But Freddie Freeman's right there. Mm -hmm. 63 runs batted in. They both have 22 home runs. It's 100 hits for Freddie Freeman. It's 94 for Bell. These numbers are right neck and neck. They both have scored 61 times. So at the end of the day, as a Pirates fan, yes, I would have loved to see Josh Bell as a starter. But I don't think that Freddie Freeman was worse than Bell. I think they were very much neck and neck, which is why when it comes to the fan vote, Atlanta got a couple more than Pittsburgh did at the end of the day. But both of these guys, well-deserving of this honor to be a starter in the All-Star game. Josh Bell, just a, a awesome story to come all the way back after he slumped very hard last year. Yep. He was just really struggling, and people were like, is this going to be another you know, Pedro Alvarez where he's just not hit? He's a home run or bust kind of hitter, and no, Josh Bell's the real deal this year, and you owe it all to him for all of those off-season workouts that he does and how he shows up to the ballpark he's every day. He's an animal. He works his butt off. So. His dad is an animal. Yes, yes. Oh, man. So, long, long story short, I don't. I think Josh Bell deserves to be a starter in my heart because I'm a Pirates fan, but I don't think that Freddie Freeman winning is the wrong thing. You can't go wrong with either guy. It's hard to argue against either one. And you, you laid a lot of the numbers out there. If I want to really go further down and peel off another layer of the onion, Josh Bell ha- has the advantage in extra base hits. And right now he's ready to obliterate the team record for extra base hits in a season, which is still the pace that he's on is just mind boggling. And if you really want to look at it from the perspective of are each of these players teams where they are without that guy? The Braves might be close to where they are without Freddie Freeman. The Pirates aren't even, you know, where they are, what, five games out of first? They're not even there in fourth place without Josh Bell. They are in last place. They look more like Detroit. They look more like Baltimore. They look more like the White Sox, and they do a team that's in fourth place in five games out of first right now without Josh Bell. So if I really want to go deep, 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 deep down to the ground, that would be the argument that I make for Josh Bell as opposed to Freddie Freeman. However, you're right. It's hard to argue against the guy who's been one of the best first basemen in the National League for quite some time now. Freddie Freeman is, I don't want to call him the gold standard because there's other guys. There's uh, there's Rizzo. There's Goldschmidt. There's other guys within just within the National League Central alone that you could look at and say, these guys have been good. Joey Votto was a really good first baseman for a really long time. So to, to be counted in that top percentile is a huge honor for Josh Bell. I think he sees it that way. I think he was absolutely humbled by the fan support, by the team support. Um, all of his teammates that were pretty much just just plugging away and trying to get him in there, I thought it was great. And honestly, I won't even lie about this. I'm surprised it came down to 1.1% of the vote. Because if you want to talk about fan bases, you got the Braves fan base that has a good chunk of the South, especially the Gulf Coast, up against the Pirates fan base. Which... It's pretty well spread out, but it's spread a lot more thinly than the Braves fan base is. A lot of Braves fans everywhere. My best friend's dad's a Braves fan. It's pretty ridiculous how many Braves fans there are. So you're looking at the Braves fan base 
versus the Pirates fan base. I'm surprised it came down to 1.1%, in which case, hats off to Pirate fans, because you went toe-to-toe with one of the bigger, more rabid, more vocal fan bases in the game. And the fact that he's even in this consideration, I think it's cool. I think he's deserving of it. And let's not lose sight of the fact that Odds are he could be the starting DH anyway for the National League because they're playing at American League Ballpark in Cleveland at Progressive Field. So it may not even matter. It may be a wash. He might end up starting anyway. But it, it's it's a fun thing to discuss because it could have gone either way, and I'd say, yeah, okay, he should be the guy. It could have been Freeman or Bell, and I wouldn't have felt much different either way because I felt both guys, like you did, were very deserving. Let's move forward here. We got our Throwback Thursday segment, and the only reason why this segment is a thing Greg Finley, is this a thing? The only reason why this segment is a thing is because of a statement I made last week. And this was, I believe it was part of our leadoff question with, or it might have been our question of the week, actually, forgive me. We were talking about the possibility of trading Felipe Vasquez. This is what we discussed. And me trying to think off the top of my head to create the best scenario where I, if I were Neil Huntington, would actually want to trade Felipe Vasquez because I'm of the belief that if you're gonna trade, if you're gonna trade, trade me some guys for Vasquez. If I'm giving a guy like Vasquez up, who has multiple years of control for dirt cheap for the quality of player that he is, you better give me a ridiculous haul. And here's the scenario I came up with last week. Here's what we talked about last week on episode 28. If you're gonna make that trade now for that contract, as much as people talked about Chris Archer and how great his contract was. Vasquez's contract and his value based on his contract is even better than that. Preach. So it, it it better be it better be a trade where if I'm Neil Huntington, I can't hang up the phone because what I hear is just that ridiculous that I have to say yes. Yep. That that's gonna be the reason why you do it. Mm-hmm. And that's really the only reason why you do it, in my opinion, at this point. But that's gonna be the reason why you do it. Because there's a team that says, you know what, we need this guy right now. He's literally the only thing we don't have. He's literally the only thing we need. We're set for the next three years. We'll give you these three or four pieces because we're not going to use those guys. They're all blocked, and this is the guy we need. So basically I'm saying if the Dodgers call you and say, yes, we want him, and this is what we'll give you, that's probably the scenario that I like the most. And even then I'd have to look and see if they even have prospects that I like. But if there's a team whose minor league system I'm looking at right now and seeing what they produce, it might be the Dodgers because they got some really good young players and they're making next to nothing right now. So maybe that's the scenario. So that was what I said last week. Not having any inkling of an idea that the Dodgers would come up in conversation as a team that would be interested in Felipe Vasquez. I did not expect that to happen within five days of making that statement. And Jason sends me a text message. I can tell you where I was when I got it. I I was at the car dealership. I'm getting my car inspected. And I I get a text message from Jason he says, oh, man, we got a lot to talk about this week. And I'm going, oh, God, what did I miss? And he goes, Dodgers are interested in Vasquez. And he sends me the tweet. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But you know what? It's a topic. Let's lay it out there. I, I, I mentioned specifically the scenario that would, it would take for me to even consider moving Felipe Vasquez. Now it looks like we're here where that scenario is actually being discussed. So, Greg, let me ask you this question. Whatever it would take for you to want to move Felipe Vasquez to L.A., what are you looking at? What's the package you have in mind in this in this scenario? Well, I think I'm going to be like the Pirates, or I'm sorry, the Rays, when they were moving Chris Archer and what they got in return from the Pirates. I want 
top prospect guys that are playing baseball right now in the MLB. Hmm. Now, that being said, the Dodgers have a lot of those. <laughs> I'm not going to get Bellinger. And they're just, pretty good. Yeah. I'm Bellinger's not, really good. I'm not going to get Bellinger. I'm not going to get Beatty. I'm not going to get Verdugo. I could get Julio Arias. That's who, a guy that I want. Who's 22 years old. They have babied this guy ever since they called him up to the big leagues. You're going to throw 60 pitches tonight. I don't care what your numbers are tonight. You're throwing 60 pitches, and you're done. Yeah, they've been very particular with his pitch counts. And so you got to let this guy go. you got to let this guy pitch. And the Dodgers aren't doing it. The only reason that he ever gets starts is because Rich Hill is hurt. And Rich Hill gets hurt a lot. I mean, the, Which makes him a great yes. a, a great insurance policy, right? Yes. Considering the fact he was an uh, international signing at, what, 19 years old? Yes. He got a nice little bonus out of Mexico to be signed by the Dodgers. He makes his debut at 19. So it's not like he's totally new to this. He's been around Major League Baseball for a couple years now. Correct. So he, he's a guy, and I agree with this wholeheartedly. There's a handful of guys on this team that could play every day that aren't playing every day. Or in, in Urias's case, he, he could be starting every fifth day and isn't. He's in the bullpen because they won't start him. Yep. He's a starting point for me. Or a guy like a Max Muncy, a guy like a Kike Hernandez. That's a starting point for me. A guy who can play every day is not playing every day and probably should but can't because his team is so freaking loaded. Another guy that sticks out. What about a Jock Peterson? Are, are they fed up with Jock Peterson yet? Do they really need him to stick around? Does he need a change of scenery? He's hitting 232. They have moved him out of the outfield because they brought Beatty up. Mm-hmm. So now their outfield is just all three of their top prospect studs of Bellinger, Beatty, and Verdugo. That's insane. Yes. They're doing it because they can. Not because <laughs> someone got hurt. Not because Muncie can't play. Not because Peterson can't play. Not even because Chris Taylor can't play. And he's still there. Yep. They still have Chris Taylor. He can play short. He can play the outfield. He's still there. And he's not even in the outfield. They're doing this simply for the same reasons that dogs lick themselves, because they can. That's why they have these guys up, and they're all there. It's insane. I mean, you talked about Chris Taylor. He's The only reason that guy's getting reps is because – uh, Seeger's hurt. Yeah. So Chris Taylor's playing shortstop. You're kidding. Like Nick, and they have they have Seeger. Like, what, yes. what are we talking about? Yes. <laughs> Steve it, is too deep. Yes. And, That's and, exactly why the Dodgers were my scenario that was hypothetical. If I'm moving Vasquez, I'm moving him to that team because they have plenty of talent to spare. Yes. Now, at the same time, and this is not off topic, but it's a, it's a question. If the Dodgers were to bring in Vasquez, how does Kenley Jansen feel about that? Oh, Kenley Jansen's still the closer. Well, so then, will Vasquez want to be the eighth inning guy? Well, we we've already heard that he's willing to pitch in any role here. Okay, because he's not getting a lot of save opportunities, or at least he wasn't for a while. He's gone. I'll pitch in any capacity you want me to. He would take any role. He was willing to do it. It's well documented, and he said as much. This is another reason why I like the possibility of moving him because any team that acquires him doesn't really have to make him their closer right away. He can just be their eighth inning guy. He can be their um, he can be their fireman guy. Whether you're facing the best part of the lineup in the seventh inning or facing a bunch of lefties in the eighth inning, he can go and be the fireman old-school style, just mow them down, Andrew Miller style, and get them out of the way and make the road even easier for Kenley Jansen in the ninth inning. He goes, gets himself, even if it even if it isn't a save opportunity, just goes in, pitches an easy ninth inning, makes himself a little bit more money, and everybody goes their separate ways. It, it could be that simple with him in the bullpen. 
That's how easy this could be for him. They don't even need Felipe Vasquez. They just want him because they can go after him. It's insane. They, Absolutely They ridiculous. want him because they know that they can just dominate. I mean, if I think they're to the point where they've been so close the last two years. They went to the World Series. Right. And, and they couldn't win. So if you add Vasquez and another bat at the deadline. Wow. Do they even need what, another bat? What more do you need from this? To, you know, they could get another bat and move Peterson because he's playing so bad. Oh, man. This team is so loaded. It's but the ridiculous. Dodgers are absolutely loaded. And we're talking about giving them Vasquez? Do they need Vasquez? There, there's an old saying in finance. The best way to get a loan is to not need the money. That's what the Dodgers are yes. doing right now. That The best way to get the best reliever in the game that's available right now is to apparently not need him. Par- apparently, that's how it works. Because it, it, it's on paper, you're sitting there going, why would they really need that guy? But if you think about it, what else do they really need? Nothing. Nothing. No. They, nothing else, really. So you get that, you get possibly the top left handed reliever who's maybe not named Josh Hader. And some would argue he's better than the Hader. I'd lay him out there and say, you're probably right. Yep. I don't think there's a wrong answer there. No. <laughs> one is, they're one and one A, basically. That's what you need? Okay. Yeah. If you're the Dodgers, you're going, okay, yeah, this is the one thing that we need. So we'll lay out a good price to get him because you know you don't have to worry about him for the next four or five years because you're getting him at a ridiculous discount, by the way. An absolutely insane discount where a team like the Dodgers would pay five, maybe almost ten times as much over the length of the contract to get that kind of guy. Yep. And they're getting him at a discount? Oh, yeah. you're. I'm having you go deep in your pockets to get this guy off of me. And then if Seeker comes back sooner than later – they don't even need Jock Peterson. You move Muncie back to first, you move Taylor to second, and you put Seeger at shortstop. And Jock Peterson is either in the outfield every like fourth day. And Bellinger's in the outfield. Yes, yes. You have Bellinger, Beatty, Verdugo. <laughs> this makes no sense. They have so fair. many lefties too. They're they're ridiculous. It's not fair. No, it's not. So so going back to the original question. <laughs> that <we've, laughs> now that we've gotten totally off topic talking about how loaded the Dodgers yes, are. Exactly. I want Urias. And then I want two out of the three top guys. Their top prospect is a catcher. I don't think the Pirates need another catcher. I would agree with I that. I really don't. So I would want Tony Gonsolin, who is a starting pitcher, one in one record, 2.77 earned run average, and eight starts. He's given up 20 hits, 31 strikeouts, and 26 innings pitched. He's pretty good. Gavin Lux, who is their second overall prospect, shortstop, hit, hit, he's hitting 313 in double A, just got moved up to triple A on the day that we're recording this, which is June 27th. And he's got 37 runs batted in, 13 home runs, and 896 OPS, top 10 shortstop prospect. He's wow. number five in Major League Baseball. Wow. So. And again, he got promoted to AAA. I want to see what he does in AAA, but those are really good numbers in AA. And he's a name that we've heard from Dodgers fans. They're just saying, hey, if we got to give up Lux to get Vasquez, let's do it. Like, we're hearing it from Dodgers fans. Well, they already have Corey Seager. Right. They're like, we got Seager, we're good. We got Seager, we got Chris Taylor, we're good at shortstop. You want to give this guy up, by all means, do so. Yes. So, Dodgers fans, from what they're discussing and what we've seen on social media when discussing this topic, they're all in on it. And let's talk about. Their rotation's already loaded. They don't even know how to use Julio Urias. So what are they going to do with their starting pitching prospects? Nothing. They're blocked. They're just sitting there. They have they have Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw, and 
Hinjin Ryu as their one, two, three punch. And Ryu might he might be the best pitcher in the National League that hasn't gotten as much credit for it. Yes. It's insane. <laughs> yes. It's absolutely insane. So then the third guy in their prospects, Dustin May, three and five record, a three point seven four earn run average and fifteen starts, seventy nine and a third innings pitched. He's only given up five home runs, eighty six strikeouts. Wow. Just got promoted to triple A today. And he's walked 20. So I think he does have some control issues. But 86 strikeouts, that jumps off the chart that's for a me. Sick, that's a sick K-to-walk ratio. It's a pretty <laughs> sick ratio. If you're talking 4-to-1, K-to-walk ratio, you're probably pretty good. 86 punch-outs in 79 innings pitched. <sighs> My yeah. lord. So wow. put Dustin May, Gavin Lux, and Julio Urias, and boom. I'm I'm sold. Hey. I would trade. I would trade Vasquez. You know what? You sold me. I literally said this last week. It would have to take a deal that's so good that I couldn't hang up the phone. That's a deal that's that good that I couldn't hang up the phone. It's like whenever the Rays call the Pirates to give us your best offer. We'll give you glass now and meadows. I'm sold. Because because the Dodgers are at the point that the Pirates were at. They didn't have room for meadows, and glass now wasn't working. Urias is not working. He's putting up good numbers, but they're not using him right. So they have to move him. If they want to get a guy like Vasquez, he's a kind of pitcher where I say, if I'm Neil Huntington, look, you're not you're not using Urias like you're supposed to. You're using him as, as a long reliever or like a sixth or seventh inning guy. That's not what he's used for. He's a starter. So that's that's where I come down on this subject. It's like what the Pirates did with the Rays. They moved Glass now because he didn't work. And they moved Meadows because they had no spot for him. You know what? You know what the Dodgers are doing with with Urias. You know what they're doing. What's that? The same thing the Rays did with David Price. Guess who happened to be running the Rays at the time that happened? A guy named Andrew Friedman, who happens to be the president of the Dodgers. And that be Andrew Friedman. It'll be Andrew Friedman. <laughs> it, I, I'm I'm wondering where this kind of concept came from. Hey, really good young pitcher. No real space for him now to put him in the rotation. Why not bring him out of the bullpen as a multiple inning guy and let him get his feet wet? That sounds very familiar. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just just spitballing here, but it makes plenty of sense to me. And I, I'm glad you brought this up because you talked about how you know it's a scenario where they don't need this guy and they have these this many prospects because all these guys are blocked. You know what the Dodgers are right now in this particular situation? They're the Cubs when they traded for Quintana. Yes, they had. Everything they needed. Because you hear people going, oh, well, the Cubs, they traded their top prospect. They traded this guy. They traded that guy. It's like, yeah, because their whole lineup is here till 2022. That's why they traded them because there's nowhere for them to go. Because yep. you got Rizzo and you got Baez and you got Bryant and you got Hayward and Contreras, Contreras and Hap and Schwarber. Where are those prospects going to play over those guys? You're, you're talking possibly the best one through eight lineup in the National League on any given day, that's maybe not named the Dodgers. Ian Happ ain't prospects. even playing because there's no room for him right now. They have nowhere to put these other prospects. So, yeah, I'm going to take all this extra, too, and put it in the package to get a picture that I want. Now, that trade in retrospect? Yeah. Wouldn't call it great. <laughs> <laughs> but it it, it, it it lends to that theory. Like, they're in that position. And this is really what you want out of an organization. This is what you want. This is what Theo Epstein has wanted for 15 years. This is his ideal of what he calls an Uber organization. You built through the farm system. You built through the draft. You have all this talent. 
and the guys you need to fill holes, they fill those holes. In the excess, you take that excess and you use it to get the stuff that you need. That's how you fill the other holes that you have. And if you really have to go and fill another hole that you can't fill through a trade, then you have free agency to fall back on. But you have so many other options to do it before you really have to spend money. Now, granted, he's also got the money to spend for the big guys. We know this is true. Plus, he has the money to keep those guys. But that's something he's been doing since he was in Boston nearly 20 years ago. And this is something that he pounded the table for and almost left Boston over once and escaped from the stadium in a freaking gorilla suit. You think I'm kidding? Go look the story up. It's a real thing. But now the Dodgers are doing that. Now the Cubs are doing it, ironically, with Theo, of course. But you have teams that are building. Boston's still doing it, and Theo's gone. You have the bigger-name teams. Guess who else is starting to do it now? The Yankees are starting to figure it out. They're starting to do it. Yep. They're starting to build with their own talent that they've mined and brought in. So everybody in the bigger markets are starting to do it because now not only does it free up more room to use for guys that you might need to get in free agency, even if you need to get them, but also it limits the money you spend and it allows you to make more as an organization. As if these teams need more, right? <laughs> as if they need to save more money to spend less. They got plenty going on just because of their TV contracts alone. But we can we can totally go down that rabbit hole all day. But you and I agree. It, it takes a significant haul to get a guy like Vasquez. And the haul you laid out, that scenario you laid out, is what I'm cool with. So we'll, we'll, we'll take that. And you guys out there, I'm sure you have your, your, your answers to what you think. Let us know. Hit us up on Twitter at TheBuckoCast. Let us know what you think would be an acceptable package from the Dodgers, from Felipe Vasquez. I want to get your, your thoughts on that. Let's jump ahead here. Greg and I have this thing every week. We call it the World's Worst Pirates Preview. We break down one series from the upcoming week during the Sunday morning grind, 7 a.m. every Sunday, 93.7 The Fan. Check it out. Radio.com app. Check it out there, too. And we break down one series per week that's in the upcoming week. And what we do is we use a certain kind of category. We don't just say, oh, you know, here's who's pitching and here's who's starting and here's who's going to be pretty good. That's not how we do it. We kind of do it a little bit of a different way. We kind of look at it through a different lens. And it's gotten to the point where Greg has gotten so good at this that I have to step up my research game because Greg just keeps nailing it. So what we do is we have seven categories that we break them down. We'll start with our first category. And we'll start with from the Pirates perspective. So we'll start with the guy that the Brewers should worry about. Who is the Pirates player, Greg, that the Brewers should worry about? Kevin Newman. Oh. How can it not be, right? He's got a 17-game hitting streak. I think that's very fair. In his last seven games, 13 hits, seven runs batted in, two home runs, a 394 average, a 429 on-base percentage, and a 636 slugging percentage. Had eight hits in the Houston series with two home runs and five RBIs. On top of that, Newman is hitting 370 in road games against his 281 at home. Going to Miller Park. Still on the road. He's hitting a lot better in away games than he is at PNC Park. It's funny how people are laying out this Pirates offense in the last maybe five or six weeks. You really don't think it has anything to do with Kevin Newman being a part of it, hitting leadoff? Of course it does. Absolutely It makes a lot of difference. They're scoring almost six runs a game in the last six weeks because Kevin Newman being near the top of that order, plus Brian Reynolds being behind him and Starling Marte behind him and Josh Bell behind him probably has a lot to do with it. So I, I, that's a good pick, in my estimation. I'm going to cheat and go with the easiest, most obvious answer in the world. We were just talking about him at the top of the show. Josh Bell is a team really that everyone should worry about, and here's why. He's he's 
First of all, he's hitting 311. That's really that's the least of the things you look at. On base percentage of 384, slugging 646. That's a 1094 OP, uh, 1029 OPS. Leads the National League in extra bases. 22 home runs. He's driven in 70. He, he's a cleanup guy who's a ridiculous run producer. Like you, we don't, you don't see these as much anymore. Where a guy who's if someone's on base, especially in scoring position when he's up, that guy's not as good as in. But there's a pretty good chance he's going to score because Josh Bell finds any way necessary by hook or by crook. He's driving that guy in 70 driven in and we're not at the halfway point this season. Now, granted, it speaks to the Pirates ability of the guys ahead of him to get on basing in his scoring position. That's true. He also has 22 home runs and we talked about how he leads the National League in extra base hits. That probably has a lot to do with it, too. So I'll say Josh Bell. And when people were talking about how Bell is cooling off a couple of series in a row it didn't last he just long. killed it in houston he destroyed the ball in houston it didn't last long it, that's another fun thing that's really what's crazy because we talk about how good he was in april we talk about how good he was in may and he was even better in may than he was in april if you could wrap your mind around that then he gets into june and we're like oh josh bell's starting to cool off relatively <laughs> you, you thought like really he comes back and he's doing this again so it just to, to see the kind of season he's having. that For me, it's not even about how good are you when you're good. I'm looking at how good you are when you're bad. And he hasn't been bad for long at any point this season. And think about how good he was as a rookie. Remember, uh, Ty, I think he was, I think he, was it broke the team record for rookie home runs and then tied the NL record for a rookie switch hitter? He did that as a rookie. Last season, of course, he hit, what, 12? So you're like, okay, this can't be that great. There are some people that are still poo-pooing Josh Bell hitting 12 home runs last year. And he's almost doubled that before July. Why they're doing that, I don't know. Like, why are you trying to find the one thing that's negative with this season? And it has nothing to do with this season. What what are we talking about? Yes. What are we talking about? This season that he has is phenomenal. Do we realize he might match his rookie home run total by the All-Star break? Are, Are we paying attention to this? Are we paying attention to the fact that he's doubled up his down year last year, he he's doubling up that home run total as we speak. Yeah. Are, are we paying attention to this? You and I are. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> I don't know how this is. This becomes a discussion into something negative regarding Josh Bell. I have nothing bad to say about the man, first of all, as a person. But second of all, what he's doing this season, if you want to talk about his defense, fine. You know what? His defense ain't going to win him the MVP. What he's doing with the bat, very well could. Yes. That's enough for me. Agreed. Let's go to the guy that the Pirates should worry about. Well, going back to your I'm going to take the most obvious answer, <laughs> there's that guy that his name is Christian Yelich. He's, like, really good. <laughs> now, think, think back to the World Baseball Classic. Think think back to when we were talking about the World Baseball Classic. And what was the one thing I had pointed out? We are talking about Andrew McCutcheon, how Andrew McCutcheon at one point was not starting in the in left field for the World Baseball Classic. Who was starting over him? Christian Yelich. That's how good he is. Yes. There there were fans in Miami that didn't like him. How? I I don't get it. But by all means, is please it tell because me. he was for, he, he was stuck behind Stanton his whole career Pot, in well, Miami? Remember, it was him, Stanton, and Ozuna. Yes. All three of those guys were in the same outfield. That was the outfield. How were the Marlins bad? Uh, we're not going there. We're not going. <laughs> but by all means, please tell me more about Christian Yelich so I so I can stop talking about how great he is. So he won the MVP last year, making an argument to win it again this year. Yep. A three thirty five average, league leading twenty nine home runs, second in RBIs with sixty three behind. 
Josh Bell. 17 stolen bases. He's third in on-base percentage, only behind two really good hitters named Bellinger and Trout. Oh, God. <laughs> He's hitting 385 in the month of June. Good Lord. This season has a 383 batting average versus the Pirates. Yikes. Yeah, he kind of kills them. Wow. Well, he kind of kills everybody, but... This is true. Just like Josh Bell kills everybody. It really doesn't matter. I mean, anytime you put, like, the Brewers on, like, MLB Network, you're like, yeah, I'm shocked that Yelich hit another one. He just keeps right. hitting home runs. It's like, anytime he hits a hard-hit ball, you're like, oh, that's a double. No, it's a home run, and he's got 29 of them. You should really enjoy this series if you're a baseball fan because you pretty much got Thanos on the pirate side going up against John Wick on the Brewer side. Yes. Because they both just kill everyone. Yes. It's going to be insane. By the way, I agree with you. That's my pick, too. <laughs> Everyone should worry about Christian Yelich. It's insane. He should walk in with just dressed in all black with, like, an armored suit because he, he pretty much is the John Wick of MLB right now, killing everybody. It's insane. All right, let's go for the key matchup for the Brewers. Who you got, Greg? So the key matchup in favor of the Brewers? Yes. Okay, I got Josh Hader versus the Pirates oh. in general. Do tell. 26 strikeouts in 48 batters faced. He's only given up eight hits and seven runs batted in against the Pirates. The Pirates are hitting 167 against Hayter. Wow. I mean, he's a lockdown closer in general, but I, it seems like he just straight up owns the Pirates. This seems like another good reason to say this is a fun time to enjoy this series because you're going to see Josh Hayter on one side and Felipe Vasquez on the other. Yeah, sign me up for that. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my matchup is going to be Mike Moustakis against the three uh, pitchers for the Pirates that are slated to start in the series. Chris Archer, Jordan Lyle, Stephen Brault. Against these three players, against these three pitchers, I should say, Moustakis is a combined nine for 30 with three doubles, three home runs. Granted, he struck out eight times. Seven of them are against Archer. So if you want to look at one matchup in particular that could go either way, look at Moustakis versus Archer. Archer's got him seven times. But he's hitting 300 with a 700 slugging percentage. In 30 plate appearances, Mike Moustakis against the, the Pirates starters for the season will be a thing to watch. What about your key matchup that favors the Pirates? I feel bad because it's Archer versus Moustakis. <laughs> That's well pointed out, man. Hey, He's only well four out. for 17 against Archer. I mean, for how good Moustakis is, I think the way that this series opens up with Archer on the mound Friday, it's how he goes up against this lineup and he kind of owns Moustakis. And Moustakas hit an absolute moonshot off the Pirates off of that car the last time the Pirates yep. were at Miller Park. Now, I'll, I'll I'll get to more about Chris Archer later on here in just a moment or two. Um, my key matchup for the Pirates that favors the Pirates is Starling Marte against the Brewers starters. Yoli Shasim, Brandon Woodruff, and Kyle Davies. Uh, 56 plate appearances. Marte's hitting 346. On-base percentage of 370. Slugging 519. Four doubles, a triple, and a home run. Marte, by the way, who hits pretty well in Milwaukee historically. So that's the matchup I'm looking at. I want to see Starling Marte continue to do what he's done. And we've talked how how much have we talked about how hot Marte's been in June? Oh, we we've covered that a good bit during the show this month. I mean, he's been awesome. Absolutely. So that's my key matchup that favors the Pirates. And there are still people that go, they should trade Marte. He doesn't hustle. Are you seeing what he's doing with the bat? And who are you going to put in center field if you get rid of Marte? Nobody. It, it's it's going to be Brian Reynolds. And as far as the bat goes, okay, fine. Because now you have a bat that's pretty consistent and he's a switch hit bat. And I'm good with that. But does Brian Reynolds do what Starling Marte does in the outfield? No. It, 
That's nothing against Brian Reynolds. He's a capable outfielder. He yes. probably could play center field and start on a major league roster. I'm not I'm not knocking him for that. But he can't do what Starling Marte He's does. not Marte. McCutcheon couldn't do what Marte could do in center field. He he was and, and we know it's bad when Andrew McCutcheon's telling you, yeah, he's definitely the fastest guy on the team. <laughs> yeah. I, I I'm 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 gonna try to beat him every time. But he's the fastest guy on the team. Exactly. I think that says a lot with Starling Marte. So I have an honorable mention for this category. Okay. Adam Frazier is 7 for 15 against Zach Davies. Really? And Frazier has the most total bases and RBIs in any ballpark other than PNC Park. It's Miller Park. No kidding. So at Adam Frazier's been very quiet this season. You know, the last couple of years, it's, man, this guy should be starting every day. Right. Look out for him in this series. I, I wrote a chapter in a book about it, and I kind of slap myself for it every once in a while, but hopefully you prove me right this weekend. Let's go to one of our favorite parts of this this segment. Let's talk about the brewer that no one's talking about. I'm going with Matt Albers, Oh, a reliever that has gone six straight appearances without giving up a run. Wow. And he had a pretty rough ERA, subpar five. He's brought that down to 3.74. In June, he's only allowed five hits. He struck out 10, and batters are hitting 143 against him. The That's Brewers don't have a great bullpen other than Hayter and Jeffries, or Jeffers, but I think that uh, Matt Albers will be the guy that nobody's talking about that could very well just come in and shove for a couple of innings. I'm going to go on the offensive side. I'm going to go with Eric Thames. We haven't seen a lot of him because we've been recovering from an injury. 203 plate appearances this season. He already has 10 home runs. So we're talking about a home run every 20 times up to the plate. That's pretty damn good. 851 OPS, 112 uh, one's, uh, weighted runs created plus, WRC plus. So Eric, Eric Thames is a guy who's been really, really good just in limited doses. The last time the Pirates were in Milwaukee, Eric Thames gave him a pretty hard time. So he's my guy no one's talking about for the Brewers. And for how good he was last year. Oh, my God. It was just like, is this guy on steroids? No, I'm not on steroids. And Thames hits another home run. You on steroids? No, I'm not on steroids. Remember we talked about how many good players the Brewers had that were dirt cheap to acquire? Yes. Eric Thames was one he's of those one of guys. Them. Dirt cheap to acquire. If you think I'm kidding, folks, go through the list of all the guys they either got for dirt cheap as acquisitions and trades, or guys, I believe it was, was it Aguilar or was it Santana who was a waiver claim from Cleveland? Just cast-offs that other teams didn't want or guys that were traded to them that are dirt effing cheap. You got to go check it out. Mike Moustakis. How about the free agent deal they got with him both times? Yes. Both times they got him for a steal. How did nobody want him? Uh, anyway. Well, <laughs> bigger question is how come no one wanted to pay him? Yes. That's what's insane. I mean, if you're him... The way you're playing, you're like, man, I I must be worth a lot for next year. And eh, we'll see. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, let's keep it moving. Pirate, no one's talking about. Who you got? I'm going with the guy that kind of tore it up in this Astros series, Jacob Stallings. Yes, indeed. He was yes, awesome. Indeed, yeah. I mean, it's his first major league home run. Usually, whenever he plays, you know, a lot of people are like, why is this guy playing? Well, because Diaz needs a day off. Jacob Stallings has been great. I mean, he's 8-for-15 in his last seven games. He hit his first home run. He went 3-for-3 three three on Thursday against yeah. the Astros. What more can you ask for? And that's the guy that was backing up the starting catcher. And, and another thing that kind of doesn't get mentioned a lot, it was the thing that I appreciated Chris Stewart for when he was the Pirates' backup catcher. He's really good with the pitching staff. And those guys trust him immensely. Chris Archer, that last start he goes out, or he goes out and just completely rips it up, what did he do? He goes to Jacob Songs and says, hey, 
we're getting rid of the two-seamer. Stallings says, all right. And he goes out and calls a game with him. And by the way, when Archer pitches with Stallings as his catcher, he's done fairly well, better than the alternative. I think there's something behind that. I think part of it is Jacob Stallings' preparation, and other pitchers will come to him and help them prepare for his starts. I think that makes a lot of sense, that they really trust uh, Jacob Stallings that much. I'm going to go with Jose Osuna. I like it. It, it. Limited time. He have, has, what, 38 at-bats. Seven of his 12 hits are for extra bases. Four of them are home runs. Three of them are as a pinch hitter. That's the most in baseball right now. Three pinch hit home runs. Jose Osuna, in really crazy spots where he's probably not expected to come up big, has come up huge. So he's my pirate no one's talking about. I like it. And, and they've moved him around so much. Yeah. When they called him up the first time, he played the outfield. Then they moved him to first. Now he's getting his feet wet at third base, and he's doing a good job. And he says he's cool with it. Now, he, he's admitted that his natural position is first base, but he's cool with playing third. He's cool with playing the outfield. He just wants to get a chance to come in exactly. and hit you're and a do kind, what he can. You're the kind of player where you say, I'll play anywhere as long as I get to play. And he's the kind of guy, manager says, I want to find a place to put him as long as I can get that bat in the lineup, especially against the left-hander. Yep. There's that, too. So that sticks out. All right, down to our last and final prediction. This is the one where it gets a little bit, uh, a little bit dicey. Prediction. Well, when we were on the air on Sunday, I said Pirates take two out of three from the Astros. You did. And I they, said they took one. That would, They would take one. And once again, you were right, Greg. Stop being right about everything. <laughs> Jeez. So Nicely done by you, though. Good thank call. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, hey, we both killed it in this series. We, we really did. did. We did. That's true. I will take the Pirates to win two out of three. I agree. I think they're going to take two out of three, and here's why. Um, those three starters. Archer, Lyles, Brault. I'll tell you the game that they're going to lose. Lyles. They're going to lose the Archer game, I think. Oh, really? I think they lose the Archer game. And here's why. Of all the guys on that roster that have faced Chris Archer at least once at the plate, 10 of them have hit at least one home run off him. 10. Yikes. 10 different Brewers players have hit home runs off Chris Archer. That's insane. That is insane. That's pretty nuts. Now, here's another difference. Jordan Lyles has faced the Brewers hitters a total of 121 times. He's allowed two. Stephen Brault has faced the Brewers hitters a total of 105 times. He's allowed three. Okay. Brault, actually, mix them up Browns and Lalt. Brault and Lyles have actually been both pretty good against Milwaukee. Brault's last start against Milwaukee went out there and pitched pretty well. I don't think they won that game, but I think he gave up two runs in six innings. Stephen Brault, I feel kind of okay with him right now getting an opportunity every time. He keeps Me proving too. that he belongs. And getting Jordan Lyles off the injured list will be a big boost for them also. I think that they have to let Stallings catch Archer again. Agreed. The way that he pitched that in make the last the game, I think you you have to. Why mess with what worked? I agree. It, there was the debate when it was a thing back a few years back about Chris Stewart being Garrett Cole's catcher. They're like, oh, does he think he's just special? He should have a, a personal catcher. Those same people complaining are the same people that are mad that the Pirates traded him. And I said this back then. If having him as his catcher will keep him more focused and allow him to pitch better, who am I to say no if it works? Exactly. And Chris Stewart catching Garrett Cole worked. Jacob Stallings catching Chris Archer works. At this point, you are in no position to beg or be particular. You got to go with the thing that gives you the best chance to win, given the position you're in. So if it's Jacob Stallings catching Chris Archer every fifth day, then damn it, let him go do it. I agree. It's working. I agree. So we we agree on that. So that is the world's worst Pirates preview. Pirates three games in Milwaukee, the traditional house of horrors for the Pirates against the Brewers. But Greg and I both think they'll win two out of three in Milwaukee. 
We will take a quick sponsor break. When we come back, we still have our Twitter question of the week where you, our listeners, weigh in on our question of the week. And also, Greg and I will pick a side. Stick around. Welcome back to the Bucko Cast, episode number 29. I'm calling it the Kevin Young episode. Josh Taylor here with my special guest, Greg Finley, 93.7 The Fan, my my colleague from the Sunday Morning Grind. If you, you hear me, you usually hear him, as I like to say, on the ones and twos. But he's filling in admirably here on the Bucko Cast. We're talking about a lot of baseball here. We have our Twitter question of the week, and Jason sends this out every week, and you, our listeners, weigh in. And we've got some really great responses to this question. So we love doing this segment because we throw something out there and you guys give us stuff back and it's always a lot of fun. Our question of this week. Now, do you agree with Trevor Williams' recent comments that the Pirates have reached a turning point? We talked about this last week. It was the night of that six-run comeback against the Tigers. It was Trevor Williams' first start back off the injured list. He had spent 33 days on the I.L. He comes back. I think he gave up, what, seven runs in five innings? But Pirates come back from six runs down. Brian Reynolds, the three-run home run, that makes the difference. They win 8-7. to seven. After the game, Trevor Williams says, I feel like this could be a turning point in this season. So the question of the day, Greg Finley, that that Detroit, that win against Detroit, and that two-game split that they had with Detroit at PNC Park, has that become a turning point in this Pirates season? I think it has. I don't think many people thought that the Pirates were going to take two out of three from Houston, let alone absolutely destroy them in two games they put up 14 runs on Wednesday and then they put up another 10 on Thursday that's that's pretty awesome and furthermore back to the series against the Tigers nobody's touched Shane Green all year Pirates touched Shane Green that's a that's a good point um our listeners don't feel as optimistic about it Scott says the next 26 games will show if it's a turning point or just beating bad teams that's a fair point because you and I talked about this during the state of the Pirates season, the last episode of the Sunday Morning Grind. We talked about how they have all these games stacked up against division teams between now and the All-Star break and then right after the All-Star break going into the trade deadline. So that that's actually a pretty good point. These games going, coming up against division teams will tell a little bit more of a tale. Absolutely. I mean, this is where you, put, you make up ground. You play against the teams that are ahead of you. I mean, these three games in Milwaukee are big. You're trying to catch the Brewers, and then you got the Cubs coming into Pittsburgh for four. Those are huge games. And Milwaukee for three more after that. Yes, and then the Cardinals. You're playing the Cardinals. You're playing the Reds. Yep. You're a team that was in the basement that was continuing to fall, and the Reds were the hot team. Now the Pirates are the hot team. The Reds are starting to fall. The Cubs, you know, they're right there. They're winning back and forth. They they're just a good team in general, and they just added Craig Kimbrell to their roster. So can't wait to see him in Pittsburgh next week. Talking about guys, teams who needed one guy, right? Cubs needed one guy, and they got him in Craig Kimbrell. Yep. Nuts. Tony Plush, that's a really great Twitter name. Tony Plush says, I hope we have going to need a larger sample size to affirm this, though, talking about the Pirates reaching a turning point with that win against Detroit. He says, it's certainly encouraging to see Joe and Archer have better outings with obvious changes to their pitch selection the back of the results that can hopefully be repeated in this tough upcoming stretch. And that, that's a really good point, too. That's probably been a good part of it. Joe Musgrove, a really good start today against the Astros. Chris Archer goes out and has a good start against San Diego. So those are really key parts of it. And I said it from the beginning of the season. This team is only going to go as far as this pitching takes them. So the fact that those two guys are starting to turn the corner, you got Jordan Lyles coming back, Trevor Williams is already back. Those are things I look at as positives. 
And there were teams that seemed like they had figured out Musgrove. He went through that mm-hmm. stretch where he was really giving up some runs and getting shelled. So to see him go back to what the team that he played for and just shove, that's awesome. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of lean towards uh, what, what Scott is saying here. The next 26 games will show if it's a turning point or just beating bad teams because I think as these other games unfold, it makes a lot of sense. Gary also weighs in and says, no, I don't think it's a turning point, but I do sure, I sure do love how much these players believe, which is another thing Trevor Williams talked about. He said in that dugout, there was never a doubt they can come back and win that game against Detroit. Gary also says pitching helps that it, he says pitching help that impacts isn't coming either in the form of a trade or Tyone being healthy. I'd sure love to be wrong here, but I just don't see it. So, and, and that's fair from Gary's perspective because it still is early. At the same time, since that win against Detroit, they have won five out of six games, and they beat the Astros in Houston. There are two teams that have won series in Houston this season, the Astros and the Pirates. Yep. And it's late June. And I, and I just realized, I take back my comment about them getting Shane Green. They got Kirby Yates. Ah, fair enough. He blew, he blew his first save of the year, and the Pirates are the reason why. They, they took two out of three against the Astros, and they outscored them 25-7. to seven. They made the Astros throw two position players as pitchers in the same game. Yeah. That's, that's remarkable. That's, that's pretty nuts. It's a plus-18 run differential that they made up in one series you, against the Astros. You knew they were going to lose the Garrett Cole game. We, we agreed on that going yes. in. Yes. We knew they were going to lose the Cole game. We we agreed. I thought they'd lose. Uh, I thought they'd lose that. I'm trying to think what the second game was. That was Agrizol. The Agrizol game. I I, I was I was kind of nervous about that one too because I didn't know who was going to pitch. Yeah. Actually, I think I expected someone else to pitch in that game. I don't remember who it was, but we expected someone else to pitch, and it didn't happen the way we wanted it. To. We expected it to be Musgrove, and then it was going to be Archer on right today. That's what it was. Yes. I thought they would lose the the Colt game, and I thought they would lose the Archer game. That's what I thought they would lose. For some reason, I keep thinking they're going to lose the Archer game. There's a theme here. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it it stands to reason. That's another thing. They won that game, and Dario Agrizal looked really good. He did. He gave up that leadoff home run to Springer, and you were like, all right, George Springer's very good. George Springer's a monster. Yes. He's a monster. He's a hell of a prospect. Saw that kid play in the Texas League, and this is something that we used to do, uh, us media guys that were covering the Texas League AA teams. When we saw a guy was really good, we'd take bets. We're like, okay. How long till this dude gets to the show? And we're like, eh, three years. Eh, four years. We all saw Springer. We go, two. We said this, I think it was 2013. One guy was like, I hope be there next year. That guy won the bet because nice. he got called up in 2014. This was this was the 2013 Texas League All-Star game that was at my home park. It was in Springdale, Arkansas, where I was working at the time. And we're all taking bets. Like, okay, we're, we're Springer going to be. How, how long till he gets to the show? And one guy was like, he'll be there next year. He was there in 2014. He got there a year later, and he was the MVP of that All-Star <laughs> game. George Springer is a freaking monster. So for them to do what they did against this team, and I think our listeners, to a man, had a great point. They all kept coming back to the same thing. Pitching seemed to be the one thing they were bringing up. So to see Williams still pitch well, given what he was up against, to pitch fairly well and stay in that game for the early part of it, Agrizal to come in and pitch as well as he did, and then Musgrove to come in and just shove. Those three guys all get credit for what they did. Then, of course, the offense went crazy and had a Lucha house party. There's that. But still, I think it says a lot about the pitching, first of all, 
and then the offense also being able to jump in and do all that stuff. So that is our Twitter question of the week. Thanks to our listeners for weighing in. We'll have one for you next week coming up as well. I think Jason puts those questions out on Monday, I believe. So we'll have that question out next Monday. Now, finale of the show. One of my favorite parts of this show. The more we do it, the more fun we have with it. We call pick a side. I will give you a statement, Greg, and you will, quite simply, pick a side. You will either agree with it or disagree with it. We have four questions. Actually, we have, we have four questions, and one I might throw in as kind of a non-sequitur, because we like to throw in a non-sequitur question. Question number one, or statement number one, I should say. Gregory Polanco should not be a starting outfielder on this team when he returns from the I.L. Greg oh, Finley, pick a side. Man. That's pick a side, Greg. With. That's what we're starting. We're coming in hot. Pick a side. Oh, man. Uh... I will say he should not because of his arm. We've seen him, when he came back from injury, his arm did not look good. And people have commented on it. They go, you know, his bat is there, but his arm's not. You need his arm to be there because if somebody hits a sack fly at right field and the game-winning runner is on third base and he can't make that throw, you just lost the game because you have a guy in the outfield that can't throw the ball. Now, can you make a defensive substitution? Sure you can. But right now, Marte, Dickerson, Reynolds, I'm not touching that. You don't touch it. I'm not touching and that. And if you do, you touch it for an out you touch it for another guy like Osuna. That's it. Yes. And honestly, if I'm using Polanco at this point, and by the way, I agree with you, he should not return as a starter because the three guys that should start are doing bang up right now. Yes. Um if I'm if I'm not doing that with Gregory Polanco, if I'm sitting him, it's because he's not physically ready. How many times have we talked about Polanco? And I'm like, he wasn't ready to play. He was not ready to be pushed this aggressively. He was not physically ready to come back and have that kind of workload coming in that early, that aggressively, that soon off that kind of injury. And it's showing itself in spades. Ease him back in. If he has to start one game a week, if he has to be a left-handed threat off the bench against a right-handed reliever, which, by the way, he hadn't been too bad as a pinch hitter, I don't mind that thought. Same. I don't mind him as a late-inning guy you can use off the bench to try to hit against a right-hander. I'm okay with that. If that's what you're using him for, if you're starting him one game a week, if you're facing a right-hander and you don't, and you want to maybe give a guy a day off, maybe you want to sit Marte and put Reynolds in center field and stack him up against the right-hander, which you can now do with Dickerson, Reynolds, and Polanco, all for that if you want to stack him up against a righty. I'm okay with that. Starting him every day, though, absolutely not. We agree. Statement number two, the Pirates rotation can keep this team afloat until Jamison Tyone comes back after the All-Star break, assuming he even does that then. Greg, pick a side. I'll say yes. I, I like the rotation. I really do. And I think the odd man out would probably be Brault. Yes. And he's been sweet. Yeah. Y- you bring in a left-handed guy, which this team has been dying for for the last couple of seasons, you need a guy that can be a left-handed pitcher because teams like the Brewers have some really good left-handed hitters. Mm-hmm. You think Moustakis and Travis Shaw this weekend aren't like, oh, man, we got to go up against Stephen Brault, who owned us last time. We didn't mention Travis Shaw at all in our World's Worst Pirates no, preview. we didn't. And he's still lurking back there as a bat that can kill you, too. Exactly. They're, they're, they're straight up stacked. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I love, I love what I've seen from Musgrove these last couple of starts. Yes. Trevor Williams, he pitched a good game against the Astros. He did. He kept them in that ball game. For what he was expected to do and what he was facing, he did everything he could to keep him in that game. And honestly, about 90% of Trevor Williams' starts, he keeps that team in the ball game. We're talking dating back to two years ago when he got that first start. 
the majority of those starts, he's keeping that team inside the game, and that's what you want out of him. The two guys that he let beat him are Bregman and Springer. I think they beat a lot of guys. Who are both really, really good. Exactly. And really good. That was the only reason why they lost that game, because Garrett Cole just shoved. Agreed. And he pitched for contact. He didn't even try to strike guys out. Yeah. So, so Williams, I'm happy with. Archer, is he turning a page? Is he starting to become the guy that we want him to be? I don't know. I hope he is. I hope that removing the two seam, sticking to the four seam and the slider, I'm hoping that it's like what the Rays did with Glass now. They said, hey, throw your fastball, throw your slider, go to work. Agreed. I hope that's what we're getting from Archer. I totally agree with that. Totally agree. And then who am I missing? Uh, Brault. Uh, not Brault. Uh, Lyles and Musgrove. Yeah. Lyles, he's been he's been the pitcher of the year so far for these guys. Of, of a number five that they brought in and – Myself included, like Jordan Lyles. We really? both hated that. Yes, move. we both hated it. What really, Jordan Lyles when Dallas Keuchel's out there? Really, mm-hmm. is that really it. what we're doing, Neil? Absolutely, it worked it. so far. It worked. I, I I thought it sucked that he got hurt when he did Same. because he was really on a roll. He was one of their most consistent guys. Yes, and then he gets injured, kind of messes the whole thing. So up. you bring him back now into the rotation. I think it. I think this rotation is fine without Tyo, and unfortunately. Tyone being possibly your ace, he's your he, number. He's your number one guy. He's supposed to be. He's yeah. supposed to be the organizational guy. And yeah. I think everybody to a man in that room will tell you that they know Jamo's supposed yeah. to be the guy. And I think most baseball teams, when they don't have their ace, are not competing the way the Pirates are competing. No, they're not. They're not. They 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 struggle. They scramble, and that's kind of where they are now. But they're running better half of it. At least in the last six games has told us. Let's move on to our third statement. Josh Bell didn't deserve All-Star Game votes because it sends a message to the organization to try harder to win. Greg, pick a side. Um, no. <laughs> why Why would I punish the guy that's leading baseball and runs batted in? Why would I do that? <laughs> I mean, come on. That's, that's such a bad take. Wait, but there's people that feel that way. There are people that are out there saying... I'm not going to vote for him because, you know, he plays for the Pirates and nothing's not going to spend any money, and that'll prove that they need to spend more money. So that may maybe I'll care about these players. And I'm sitting there going, how is what Bob Nutting does, how is anything he does Josh Bell's fault? Exactly. It's not. Wait, really? If anything, that should be a sign that, hey, this is a guy who could be the face of your franchise. Now you have more incentive as a front office, as an ownership group, to put more guys around him. You mean to tell me if he goes out there in Cleveland and has a good showing in the home run derby that people won't think, man, just imagine what more this offense can do if it wasn't the fourth worst in baseball in home runs because we only got this guy that can hit home runs. Maybe we should find more guys that hit home runs around him. It's backwards thinking. And furthermore, why wouldn't you want a representative from your baseball team in your starting lineup in the All-Star game? Especially one that's actually playing well. I don't want a Mike Williams scenario. I don't want a reliever with an ERA I don't want Evan Meek or Joel Hanrahan, who might not even get an opportunity to pitch in the All-Star game. Right. We're talking Josh Bell, who's probably going to be the starting DH for the National League. Exactly. And he's earned the right to do it. Yes. It's, but there are people out there that feel that way, and I look at them, and I wonder how they have brains, and I wonder how they survive puberty, because it just, the rational thinking side, it, it's just not there. I agree. All right, now this is kind of a, 
it's kind of a baseball topic. It's not a Pirates topic, but it is a baseball topic. We've thrown a, one of these in just about every time we turn around. And this is going to be, I'm, I'm going to warn you now, this might be a little bit personal for you. The New York Mets are the worst-run organization in baseball. Greg, pick a side. They are. <laughs> I am so mad. I mean, Full disclosure, full disclosure. Greg also is a Met fan, beside being a Pirate fan. He, he also sympathizes with the Mets. A, as I sympathize, as I am also a Royal sympathizer, I'm kind of a Royals guy, too. So there, I, I covered the minor league system for a couple of years, also covered the pro team. So, you know, but I, I get it. Do I have a little bit of time to get on my soapbox? Um, <laughs> you, you got you got a couple minutes. Go okay. Ahead. How is Mickey Calloway still employed? How? Probably for the same reason Mike Rizzo is still employed in Washington. No one knows. It's a joke. Or be, because they don't know what they're going to do when they fire him. That That's my only logic because you have Mickey Calloway blowing up at a reporter because your bullpen cost you a baseball game. And all the reporter said was, see you tomorrow, Mickey. And he just starts swearing at him. And then furthermore, Jason Vargas, of all people on that staff, Gets up in this guy's face and says, you want to go, bro? You want to go right now? Dude, you're Jason Vargas. Now, granted, you've been actually decent for the Mets this year, but you're not good. You had 18 wins with the Royals strictly because they were a good baseball team. It wasn't because of you. You had a 5 ERA. You're, it's sad. I mean, you know that you're a bad-ran organization and that your bullpen is a joke when – your play-by-play radio announcer says, well, they still got to get three outs in the bottom of the ninth when they take a 3-1 lead. That's huge that they got that insurance run to go up by two because they still got to get three outs in the ninth. And guess what? They didn't. They went out and got Cano and Diaz to become contenders, and they are 37-45. and and Cano has not been great. He's hitting 223. Diaz has not been effective. You have Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, and that's about it. Michael Conforto is still a favorite of mine. Okay. I love Conforto. I'll give you Conforto, Big too. Big fan of Conforto. Conforto's a good player, and I didn't even think of y- – yes, I'll give you Conforto. But, I mean, Todd Frazier, he's old. Yeah. Robinson Cano, he's old. What are the Mets doing? They don't know what they're doing. You had a rotation of Harvey, Syndergaard, DeGrom. What happened to this team? And you went to a World Series four years ago. Yes. Harvey didn't want to be there anymore, and he stunk. So you said, okay, bye. DeGrom got hurt. He came back. He won the Cy Young. And Syndergaard can't stay healthy because he throws 100 miles per hour. Yes, they're the worst-run organization in baseball. <laughs> they are. It's sad. You mentioned Mickey Calloway and them not knowing to do after what to do after they fired him. It made me think about John Russell with the Pirates. You exactly. Going, You're not going to fire John Russell because what are they going to do after they fire him? Who's left? How much further can you dig down the barrel till you find the guy that shouldn't be Look here? at what they just did. They fired Eilman, their pitching coach, and they brought in an 82-year-old man. What is he going to do? Please tell me. Other than take five minutes to walk out to pitcher's mound and say, hey, you should probably throw more strikes. Especially if that 82-year-old guy's not like Charlie Manuel. <laughs> exactly. Charlie Manuel could be 90 in a scooter and probably still be somewhat of a decent baseball coach. 
I mean, you knew random. you knew you were gonna light a fire under me. Oh, you, I did. you knew you you I knew did. it. I did this on purpose because they're supposed to be good. You look at their team and it's like, how is this team not good? How do you have Jacob Degrom, Diaz? How do you have that one-two punch as your starter and your closer, and the offensive power that you have from Todd Frazier, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil has been awesome yes, for this team. He's been really good. Half the people don't even know who he is. Any like. I didn't even know where he came from. He's been awesome for the Mets, and they're terrible. That's true. That's true. I mean, I said I said to Andrew Filippone, one of our colleagues here at 93.7 The Fan, if you have Jason Vargas in your rotation, that's a problem. You're not good. You're, You're not good. You're not a good team. And I said, if they, if they add another arm, I think they can be contenders. No, they stink. They're done. <laughs> they're done. They're 37 and 45 with a team that is loaded. Let that be a lesson to you, Pirates fans. It could always be worse. They have a record that's close to what the Pirates have, the Mets do. Think the Mets that. make their fans very mad people. I'm yeah. sorry. If Pirates fans, it could always be worse. You could be the Mets having all this money and all these resources and still be a bad team. Just count it for what it is. Take take this as a, a, a sign of positivity, especially considering the fact that, let's recap, they have won five out of six since they beat Detroit. And if you count that game when they came back and won, they won six of their last seven. I think that's a really good place to start as far as the rest of this season. That is it for us. That's episode number 29, the Kevin Young episode of the Bucko cast. Greg Finley, this was fun. Oh, it was so fun. Absolutely Loved fun. Loved it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. Yeah, we, we had Greg pitch in for Jason, man. You just, you just, you, 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 Jose Osuna did. It was great. It's fantastic. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at the Bucko cast. Subscribe to the podcast if you can, or if you haven't already, please do so. Tell your friends about it. Have them subscribe. As always, we appreciate you guys listening. See you next week.